0: Section 2 of the Letters of Madame de Sévigné to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letters to Madame de Grignon. Footnote, Margaret de Sévigné, only daughter of Madame de Sévigné, was born in 1649, a short time before her father was killed. The education and happiness of this, quote, Lovely and infinitely dear child, end quote, was the occupation, delight, and anxiety of the mother's long life. For her, Madame de Sevigne thought, read, observed, and wrote. The following letters are not only charming as specimens of epistolary style, but also full of interest and instruction to those. I would study the human mind in its most sacred development of maternal love. Back to main text. Letter 1. Paris, Monday, February 9th, 1671. I receive your letters in the same way in which you received my ring. I am in tears while I read them. My heart seems ready to burst. Bystanders would think you had treated me ill in your letters or you were sick, or that some accident had happened to you, whereas everything is the reverse. You love me, my dear child. You love me, and you tell me so in a manner that makes my tears flow in torrents. You continue your journey without any disagreeable accident. Good note. In January 1670, this idolized daughter of Madame de Sévigné was married to the Count de Grignon, who was Lieutenant General of the Government of Provence, where he found it necessary to reside. The separation of mother and daughter, which took place early the following year, was the occasion for the world-renowned correspondence which has immortalized the genius of one and the names of both. Back to main text. You continue your journey without any disagreeable accident. To know this is the thing I could most desire and yet am I in this deplorable condition. And do you then take a pleasure in thinking of me, in talking of me, and have more satisfaction in writing your sentiments to me than in telling them? In whatever way they come, they meet with a reception, the warmth of which can only be known to those who love as I do. In expressing yourself thus, you make me feel the greatest tenderness for you that is possible to be felt. And if you think of me, be assured that I, on my side, am continually thinking of you. Mine is what the devotees call an habitual thought. It is what we ought to have for the divine being, were we to do our duty. Nothing is capable of diverting me from it. I see your carriage continually driving on, never, never, to come nearer to me. I fancy myself on the road, and am always in apprehension of the carriage overturning. I am almost distracted at the violent rains we've had the last three days, and am frightened to death at the thoughts of the Rhône. I have at this instant a map before me. I know every place you sleep at. Tonight you are at Nevers, Sunday you will be at Lyon where you will receive this letter. I could only write to you at Moulin by Madame de Génégaux. I've had but two letters from you. Perhaps a third is on the road. They are my only comfort. I ask for no other. I am utterly incapable of seeing much company at a time. I may recover the feeling hereafter, but it is out of the question now. The duchesses of Venneux and Dapajon have used all their endeavours to divert me, for which I am much obliged to them. Never surely were there better people than in this country. I was all the day on Saturday at Madame de Villas, footnote Marie de Belfont, Marchioness de Villars, mother to the late marshal of that name, back to main text, talking of you, and weeping. She takes a great share in my sorrow. Yesterday I heard Monsieur d'Agent preach, footnote Claude Joly, a celebrated preacher afterward, Bishop of Agen, back to main text, and was at Madame de Puissieu and Madame du puy de who both send you a thousand remembrances. This evening I shall sup tete-a-tete in the faubourg, footnote with Madame de Lafayette, back to main text. These are my carnivals. I have a mass said for you every day. It is no superstitious devotion. I have seen Adhemar but for a moment. Footnote Joseph Adhemar de Monteur, brother to Monsieur de Grignon, back to main text. I am going to write to him and thank him for his bed, for which I am more obliged to him even than you are. If you would give me real pleasure, Take care of your health. Sleep in that little snug bed. Eat broth, And exert that courage which I want. Continue to write to me. The friendships you left behind you here are all increased. And I should never have done with compliments if I were to tell you how much everyone is concerned about your health. Letter 2. Paris, Wednesday, February eleventh, sixteen 1671. I have received but three of those delightful letters that so affect my heart. One is still on the road. If I were not so fond of them, and loath to lose anything that you write me, I should not think I had lost much, for nothing can be wished for beyond what I find in those I have already received. In the first place, they are well written, and are besides, so tender, so natural, that it is impossible not to believe everything contained in them. Distrust itself would here stand convinced. They wear that air of truth which, as I have always maintained, carries authority with it while falsehood and lies skulk under a load of words without having the power of persuasion. The more they attempt to show themselves, the more they are entangled. Your expressions are sincere and they appear so. They are used only to explain your meaning and receive an irresistible force from their noble simplicity. "'Such, my dear child, do your letters appear to me. "'As for me, I appear to myself "'quite divested of everything that made me agreeable. "'I am ashamed to appear in society, "'and notwithstanding the endeavours "'that have been used to bring me back to it, "'I have latterly been like one just come out of the woods. "'Nor could I be otherwise. "'Few are worthy of understanding what I feel.' I have sought those chosen few and avoided all others. I fancy you are at Moulin today. If so, you will receive one of my letters. I did not write to you at Brière. If I had, it must have been on that cruel Wednesday, the very day you set off. And I was so overwhelmed with grief that I was incapable even of tasting the consolation of writing to you. This is the third letter. My second is at Lyon. Be sure you let me know if you receive them. When at a distance, we no longer laugh at a letter beginning, I received yours, etc. The thought of your going still further and further from me and of seeing the carriage continually driving on is what harrows me most. You are always going on, and at last, as you say, you will find yourself at two hundred leagues distance from me. Resolved, therefore, not to suffer such injustice without repaying it in my turn, I shall set myself about removing further off too, and shall do so so effectually as to make it three hundred A very pretty distance, you will say. And would it not be a step highly worthy of the love I have for you to undertake to traverse all France to find you out? I'm delighted at the reconciliation between you and the coadjutor. You know how necessary I always thought it to the happiness of your life. Preserve this treasure with care. You own yourself Charmed with his goodness, let him see you are not ungrateful. I shall soon finish my letter. Perhaps, when you get to Lyon, you will be so giddy with the honours you will receive there that you will not find time to read it. Find enough, however, I beseech you, to let me hear of you, and whether you embark upon that horrible Rhone. Wednesday night. I have this moment received yours from Nogent. It was given me by a very honest fellow whom I questioned as much as I could, but your letter is worth more than anything that could have been told me. It was but justice, my dear, that you should be the first to make me smile, after having caused me so many tears. What you tell me of Monsieur Buche is quite original." It is what may be called a genuine stroke of eloquence. I did laugh then, I own, and I should have been ashamed of it, had I done anything else than cry for this week past. I met this Monsieur Bouch in the street when he was bringing your horses for you to set out. I stopped him and all in tears asked his name, which he told me. Monsieur Bouch, I said, sobbing all the while, I recommend my daughter to your care. Do not, dear Monsieur Boucher, do not overturn her. And when you have taken her safely to Lyon, if you will call upon me with the agreeable news, I will give you something to drink. I shall therefore certainly do so. What you say of him has greatly added to the respect I had for him before. Letter 3 Paris, Thursday, February 12th Sixteen seventy one. this is only a line precursory for i shall not write to you till tomorrow but i wish you to know what i have just heard yesterday the president Amlo, after having made a great number of visits toward night found himself a good deal out of order and was soon afterward seized with a violent apoplectic fit of which he died about eight o'clock this morning I would have you write to his wife. The whole family are in the greatest affliction. The Duchess de la Valliere sent a letter to the king, the contents of which have not transpired, and then a message by the Marshal de Belfont to say, quote, that you would have quitted the court after having lost the honour of his good opinion had she been able to prevail with herself to see him no more but that her weakness on that head had been so great that she was scarcely capable even now of making a sacrifice of it to her God. She was resolved, however, that the remains of the passion she had felt for him should constitute part of her penance, and as she had devoted her youth to him, it could not be thought much if the rest of her life was spent in cares for her own salvation. End quote. The king wept bitterly and sent M. Corbert to Chaillot to beg her to come directly to side that he might speak to her once more. M. Corbert accordingly conducted her thither. The king had a whole hour's conversation with her and wept a great deal. Madame de Montespan ran with open arms and tears in her eyes to receive her. "'We do not rightly understand all this,' Some say she will remain at Versailles and continue about the court. Others that she will return to Chaillot. We shall see. Letter 4. Paris, Tuesday, March the 3rd, 1671 If you were here, my dear child, you would certainly laugh at me. I am set down to write beforehand but from a very different reason to that which I once gave you for writing to a person two days before I could send my letter. It was a matter of indifference to me when I wrote, as I knew I should have no more to say to him at the end of two days than I had then. But here the case is otherwise. I do it now from the regard I have for you and to satisfy the pleasure I take in writing to you every moment which is the sole comfort I have now left. Today I am shut up by myself in my room through excess of ill humour. I am weary of everything. I took a pleasure in dining here and a still greater one in writing to you out of season. Alas, you have none of these leisure moments. I write quite at my ease but can hardly suppose you will be able to read what I write in the same manner. I do not see how it is possible for you to be a minute by yourself. On one side I behold a husband who adores you, who is never tired of being with you, and who scarcely knows the end of his happiness. And on the other side, harangues, compliments, visits and honours paid you without end. All this must be answered. Indeed, you have enough upon your hands. I could not bear it myself in my little circle. But what became of your favourite, Indolence, amid all this noise and bustle? It suffers now. It retires into a corner, just dead with apprehension of losing its place in your heart for ever. It seeks some vacant moment to put you in remembrance, and just drop a word to you by the bye. Alas, it says, and have you then forgotten me? Remember, I am your oldest acquaintance, the friend that has never abandoned you, the faithful companion of your happy hours, who made you amends for the want of every pleasure, and for whose sake you have sometimes hated them was I that prevented your dying of the vapours while you were in Brittany. Sometimes, indeed, your mother would break in upon our joys, but then I knew where to find you again. Now I know not what will become of me. These shows, all this pageantry, will be my death, unless you take some care of me. End quote. Methinks I hear you speak a kind word to it as you go by. You give it some hopes of possessing you when you were at Guignon, But you are gone in an instant and cannot find time to say more. Duty and reason are with you and allow you not a moment's repose. I, who have always so highly honoured these personages, am now quite out with them and they with me how will they permit you to waste your time in reading such trifles as these? I assure you, my dear child, I am continually thinking of you. And I experience every day the truth of what you once told me, that there are certain thoughts which are not to be dwelt upon, but passed over as lightly as possible unless we should be forever in tears. This is my case for there is not a place in the house which does not give a stab to my heart when I see it. But your room especially deals a deadly blow from every part of it. I have placed a screen in the middle of it that I may at least take something from the prospect. As for the window from which I saw you get into Duckfield's coach and then called you back again, I shudder every time I think how near I was to throwing myself out of it after you. And was likely enough to have done it, for at times I am not in my senses. The closet where I held you last to my arms without knowing what I did, the capuchins where I used to go to Mass, the tears that fell so fast from my eyes that they wetted the ground as if water had been thrown on it, St. Mary's, Madame de Lafayette, my return to the house, your room, that night, the next morning, your first letter and everyone since, and still every day and every conversation of those who feel with me are so many remembrances of my loss. Poor Duckville holds the first rank, I shall never forget the compassion he showed me. These are the thoughts incessantly uppermost. Yet these are to be passed over, it seems. We are not to abandon ourselves to the thoughts and emotions of our heart. I had rather, however, continue my reveries on the kind of life you are leading. It occasions a sort of diversion." without making me abandon my principle, my beloved object. I do then think of you. I am always wishing for letters from you. One wish of this nature when gratified is followed by another continually. I am in this state of expectation now, and shall go on with my letter when I have received one from you. Letter 5. Paris. WEDNESDAY, MARCH THE 18TH, 1671 I have received two packets at once, which have been delayed for a considerable time. By these I am at length informed from yourself of your entry into X. But you do not mention whether your husband was with you, or in what manner honoured your triumph. But you describe the triumph itself very humorously, as well as the embarrassment you are under, and your many misplaced civilities. I wish that I had been with you, not that I should have done better than yourself, for I have not so good a gift of fixing names upon faces. On the contrary, I daily commit a thousand blunders in that way, but I think I could have been of some assistance to you. At least, I should have made curtsies enough. It is true that such a multiplicity of ceremonies and attentions is very tiresome. You should nevertheless endeavour not to be deficient in any of these points, but accommodate yourself as much as possible to the customs and manners of those among whom you are to live. An event has just taken place which engrosses the whole conversation of Paris. The king has ordered Monsieur de S. to resign his post and to quit Paris immediately. Can you guess the reason? For having cheated at play, and won upward of 500,000 crowns with false cards. The man who made these cards was examined by the king himself. He denied the fact at first, but upon his majesty's promising him a pardon, he confessed that he had followed the trade for a long time, it is said that the affair will not stop here, but that there are several houses which are used to furnish with these cards. It was some time before the king could prevail upon himself to disgrace a man of Monsieur de S.'s quality. But as for several months past, everybody that had played with them had been in a manner ruined, he thought he could not in conscience do less than bring such a scene of villainy to light. S. was so perfectly master of his adversary's game that he always made set elevat upon the Queen of Spades, because he knew the spades lay all in the other packs. The King as constantly lost one-and-thirty upon clubs, and used to say clubs never win against spades in this country. This man had given thirty pistoles to Madame de la Valliere's valet de chambre to throw all the cards they had in the house into the river, in the pretence that they were not good, and had introduced his own card maker. He was first led into this fine way of life by one Pradier, who has since disappeared. Had S known himself innocent, he would immediately have delivered himself up and insisted upon taking his trial. But instead of this, he took the road to Languedoc as the surest way of the two. Many, however, advised him to take a journey to La Trappe, after such a misfortune. Footnote. La Trappe is a society of religious monks remarkable for the austerity of their lives and the severe discipline practiced among them back to main text. Madame Dumier has charged me with a thousand good wishes for you. She is going to Neil, where she will receive as many honours as you did at X. Marshal Belfond, through a pure motive of piety, has settled with his creditors. He has given up to them the principal part of his property, besides half the profits of his post, to complete the payment of the arrears. Footnote post-chief-metre maître dhotel or master of the household to the king, back to main text. This is a noble action and shows that his visits to La Trappe have not been without effect. I went the other day to see the Duchess of Entadour. She was as handsome as an angel. The Duchess of Nevers came in with her head dressed very ridiculously, you may believe me, for well, you know, I am an admirer of fashion. Martin had cropped her to the very extremity of the mode. Your brother is at Saint-Germain. He divides his time with Ninon, a young actress, footnote called La Champelle. back to main text, and to crown the whole, despreux. We lead him a sad life. End of section 2.